Hi everyone, I'm Becky. And this is Claire. And welcome to another episode of Podway. Yay! So this podcast, we discuss things related to musical, theaters, and plays. And in today's episode, we are going to be talking about Murder for Two. Okay, so Claire, (laughs) um, a question for you. Sure. How did you first hear about Murder for Two? I hear it from you. (laughs) I feel like I say that a lot in this podcast is that I always learn about these musicals from you. And I feel so bad because it's like, how do you even know these musicals that I never heard of? Like something that is, I guess, off Broadway, then sure. But then a lot of the other things, like they are on Broadway and they are quite well known. I just have never heard of it. And I feel ashamed of calling myself Why? a fan of musicals because I've never heard of them. And I, I've always feel bad. Because no. when you ask me the question, of, oh, what's the like how are you familiar with this? And I'm like, well, <laughs> my level of like knowing about this is zero Aww. for maybe 80% of the episodes that we covered. So. I don't think it's quite any percent. And for the ones that you're familiar <laughs> with, you're really familiar with and you have such interesting stories. Plus, like for me, I figure that the ones I was less familiar with, I know maybe like a song or two from or nothing about, those are the ones that were the biggest surprise and biggest enjoyment for me. So like having hmm. that makes it so much more interesting. Maybe it's because you listen to the soundtrack or the cast recording a lot and maybe that's when you notice like you know one or two songs from this or that musical and I don't listen to a, I don't any think songs. that's the reason really mm-mm, I thought that it, that would be the reason mm-mm. I had a previous Broadway phase which I think I talked about not Broadway musical phase um when I like was in the writers group and I had a friend that was also super into musicals I think it was around like 17 to like 16 to 18 or something like that during that those years I and my friend were super duper into musical and we tried to watch or listen to as many musicals as possible and as a competitive person <laughs> and I'm very competitive uh, I always wanted to like listen to as many different musicals and be knowledgeable about them um, just to feel a little bit better about myself <laughs> which is so shameful to admit Um, So that's the reason why I was familiar with a lot of them. And my friend, on the other hand, was really into, oh, that's a pretty, that's a legal thing to do. So maybe I shouldn't say it, even though we alluded to it many times, but trading certain videos that feature Broadway or West End or musicals that might not have been taken legally. (laughs) This may or may not be true this is all alleged this is not a confession and uh we kind of like had the opportunity to see a lot of things because of that thank you becky's friends for introducing (laughs) becky and indirectly introducing me to a lot of things but a lot of things are also very um random like especially when one of us just try to pick something we were going for a vibe usually we have like a huge list of musicals and then we just like take a shot in the dark and go for one of them unless there's a specific thing we're looking into doing so Mm -hmm. like a lot of the ones on the list are just stuff that I've heard about or just even stuff that like no I've heard about all of them but stuff that I've heard about and don't have any further familiarity with which I think is the same level as you this is not the case for this musical so To feel like a YouTuber from 2012, here's a little story time for everybody. So Claire obviously is already very familiar with the story time. She was in it. 
Um, but let me just expose ourselves a little bit. So we originally were going to do Spring Awakening for this week. And I'm going to put all the blame on Claire because it was Claire's turn to choose after she suffered through Spelling Bee last week. And I think it was pretty offhand, though correct me if I'm wrong, because you were sick of like lighthearted musicals featuring kids and teens, like you went for something that you knew was dark, even though that also featured Can I say the real reason, actually? Wait, there was a real reason? There was a real reason. Okay, okay, okay. This is actually quite embarrassing. This is Mm -hmm. actually very embarrassing. So I started... (laughs) (laughs) So I uh, recently met this person and we sort of become friend-ish. And the reason why we became friend was that because we both are into musicals and theaters and that sort of thing. So obviously I started the conversation by asking, oh, you also like theaters? Like what sort of plays or musicals do you like? And she said, Spring Awakening is a favorite. And I never heard of it. So we talked about it before because of Leah Michelle and Jonathan Groff. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but like I never like watched it. Right. So I was like, okay, I never watched it before. And this happened, I think, just maybe days before we record our last episode. So when we were deciding what we're supposed to do for this episode, I was like, well, if I never watched it and she said that it's her favorite, then it must be good, right? So I <laughs> so I searched it up and it looks like it's a, one of those darker ones, even though it's still teenager. But then I was like, all right, I'm like so sick of teenage kids and having their social problems and stuff. So this one looks dark enough for my taste. Let's mm-hmm. do it. <laughs> and that's the real reason is because someone else recommended it to me not blaming well, that friend though you should um, though why you should unfriend them why I feel like if that's their favorite musical they probably have a sick and twisted taste people though, are to be allowed honest, to like it things matches, it like, matches your it's, <laughs> it, <laughs> it's famous for a reason people watch it it is famous for a reason and hmm, let's talk a little bit more about Spring Awakening then so correct me if I'm wrong, you got into this musical or you picked it because you heard of it from your friend. How familiar were you apart from that with Spring Awakening? Literally zero. Zero at all. But you knew yeah. it was darker? Yeah. From what? From like the short synopsis that I read online. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. So personally... Unrelated tangent, but spring is my favorite like season. I am a spring child. I was born in May. And Claire, as a summer child, I don't think you would understand this at all. But spring is the best. Can spring I just say awakening. there was no spring in where I grew up? Okay. There was only summer and less hot summer, which is our winter. And that's it. <laughs> okay, no, but I relate to that on a personal level as well, because there is very little spring where I grew up as well. Spring was rain. A little bit of rain and that's it mm-hmm. um however I feel like I would be very attached to the season that I was born in mm-hmm. is summer your favorite season no definitely not oh it's autumn I'm sure yeah. it's autumn. I'm sure um you have like the staple autumn fashion so I can tell based on that <laughs> <laughs> okay. her, her scarves are legendary um we used to work <laughs> together if you don't go all the way back to episode one of how we introduced ourselves but we used to work together and I feel like 
Claire's defining feature was her scarves in terms of her dress every day. So yeah, so based on that, I can tell Autumn is your favorite, but that's very unusual because I feel like most people are very self-absorbed like me and they would pick the, the month they were born in and what season that is in. So for me, it's spring. So spring and I are best friends, but spring awakening and I, on the other hand, are mortal enemies. So I'm personally very familiar with it or pretty familiar with it before, you know, you suggested it. And if you recall, I literally was like, okay, okay, I can find something to like in it. You know, Leah Michelle, Jonathan Groff are there. I can just make Glee references all the time. I can do it. I can do it. And I tried to just like brainwash myself into being okay with it. <laughs> so in preparation, I listened to the entire cast recording. I listened to the, to the entire cast recording in the past. And I also contemplated watching it before. Um, we even started a podcast several times. I recall another sick and twisted person, by the way. I'm not going to expose her. But when I was in middle school, I had um, a classmate and I saw her doodle a lot of like musical um, titles. So I saw her like write hair and I saw her write Spring Awakening. And I think there was another sick and twisted musical in there. And she was like 13. I don't think a 13 year old should necessarily be familiar with Spring Awakening, but that's another matter. Um, so I knew about Spring Awakening for way, from like way, way back. Uh, and before, years before even like starting the podcast, I think I listened to the entire cast recording at least once or twice. So I was familiar with the songs. And during the entire week, I just tried to brainwash myself again by listening to the entire cast recording again and again and again. And even though I knew there was no universe in which I'll enjoy the musical personally, I feel like we could still make it work. But this, as a confession, was the musical I dreaded recording the most, probably even more than Sweeney Todd, just because I knew what it was about. But I didn't remember quite what it was about so when you said um like in details I mean so when you said spring awakening literally my heart sank so far down it reached the earth core long story short after listening to this cast recording after reading the wikipedia article in detail so I knew exactly what was going on and doing a lot of research on it I started watching it which was an inevitable mistake and when I got to a certain scene between Wendela and Melchior that's when I texted you asking if you started watching it. And when you said no, I literally had a shimmer of hope. Like you were kind enough to agree to switch it for a different musical when I asked if that's okay. So I felt really, really bad of depriving you of one of the darker musical, pretty much the darkest musical yet and probably the darkest musical we would ever do. So in familiarity with Murder for Two, what I've done is I Googled dark musicals, crime musicals, sad musicals, tragic musicals, and musicals with murder. And I compiled a list for your viewing pleasure. And I narrowed it down to four finalists, which should we reveal what those finalists were? Maybe people can vote in them to us whether they're interested in us covering. Sure. Mm, let me pull up our text. Wait, hold on a second. Does that mean that we're never going to cover Spring Awakening ever? I wouldn't say never, but if we do, you can safely assume I was body snatched and Claire is a culprit. So <laughs> um, the list is Murder for Two, Little Shop of Horror, Assassins, and The Last Five Years. And Claire obviously picked Murder for Two. 
And that is how I became familiar with the musical myself, literally from Googling and compiling a list of possible musicals. Okay. Well, I appreciate the effort, but I have to say this one and A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, both of them have murder in it. And yet both of them are comedy, which is so far away from a dark ride I was looking for. But I that told you okay. the indecision I know, I know. But but that's okay. I, I picked this one because I know it's short and we sort of running out of time to, to watch it. <laughs> so no, we can record on time. Spring Awakening at that point. We could have picked anything else. Unless you sure. listen to a cast recording or something like that and you were prepared. Yeah. Before. That's okay. We'll you were? You listened to, to yeah. it? Yeah. The songs oh. were good. Uh, no, the songs are great. Yeah. No, the songs are very, very good. Um Interestingly enough, if you uh, looked into the musical, this is a very, very, very old media. So uh, the author of the play, which is what it was originally, released it in, I think, 1896. 1896? Are you looking for my confirmation? I have no idea. I'm looking for shock and awe. Oh, what 1896 that's so early okay Thank you, Claire. <laughs> that is not wounding my ego at all but 1896 and the themes in there I will not say I feel like we have also like a very young audience that's usually what they skew and it's not that young that they haven't heard of these things but it's young enough for me to be uncomfortable saying the themes as well so I am really shocked that a musical from the 19th century dealt with these kind of themes too and mind you I don't like hate things with tragedy necessarily the tragedy that I am interested in is Shakespearean or Greek tragedy and this one follows a lot more of the torture porn kind of tragedy and that I despise so that is my reasoning for this another musical that I really 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 dread doing if we do it is next to normal uh, I'm sure I will hate this one too, but that's a personal taste. Okay. Well, at some point, I do hope that we cover something that's a lot, uh, a bit more serious because I'm so sick of high school people. Sunday in the Park with George was literally two episodes ago. Yeah, but then we have like five high school episodes or something. But anyway, that's true. That but a lot of musicals see. just are high school. I feel like commercial musicals, the people who are really, really into musicals and get into it and like pastor their parents to buy tickets. I feel like they're usually high schoolers, you know? So people try to cater towards them. And a lot of high school mu- musicals, obviously not high school musical necessarily, but a lot of musicals that take place in high school are very successful. Like if you talk about Mean Girls or if you talk about Heathers, even Spelling Bee, um, which is before high school, and Dear Evan Hansen, which won so many Tonys, unfortunately, all of them are so successful in the end. I feel like just the industry is taking note and they release a lot of that. Sure. But then it's also the a purpose of this podcast to explore, right? That is true. But this one, again, I mean, you can watch it for yourself and tell me if you find that too triggering naturally. I mean, you can have something to talk about with your friend if you do watch it. But this one is really, it's going through it. There is a difference between something that is serious, which I think we covered in the past, like fun home, um, and something that is just 
horrible for the sake of being horrible, which is what I take it for being. A lot of people do like Spring Awakening and a lot of people are a fan of these type of media, which is great for them. But this is something that I think is literally being tragic and mean and cruel for the sake of being tragic and mean and cruel and that doesn't deter from the beautiful music that is part of it I said I listened to the cast recording I listened to the cast recording in the past and a lot this week and compared to the musical we're actually covering which is Murder for Two the songs are infinitely better and they're probably one of the better written songs we had from the podcast but the story itself is really unsympathetic well i'm not gonna comment on that because i haven't watched it mm. but yeah you can keep your opinion i'll maybe some someday watch it and then we can decide if we want to ever talk about it or not but yeah we don't have to say like to keep this one in the recording but i was looking into other recordings of it and i oftentimes just look for um productions in Israel to see if I can find anything just because I'm curious and I found a high school production of this and I mean obviously the people are teens but I feel like it would be really really not okay for teens to actually act in this musical so I was very shocked to see this Mm -hmm. Uh, I literally like went to my parents and I was like did you know this happened how is this allowed how is this even a thing aren't they ashamed and this is like a a pretty well-known art school I have several friends who went there and uh like it's very highly regarded it was like how the fuck did they uh, like okay spring awakening as a musical i don't see how that's possible but yeah that's that anyway back to murder for two i feel like our very long discussion and debate about spring awakening is not going to reach the half level of what we're doing for a murder for two which is probably going to be a very short episode if we don't find other things to say about <laughs> other musicals who knows uh, so if you see that this episode is two hours long you knew that i was wrong if you see this episode is like 45 minutes long or an hour long which is very very uncharacteristic for us maybe it tells you something about the musical itself so let's do a brief synopsis of the show this musical is the definition of mom can we have the gentleman's guide to love and murder and then do you know what that mean so mom can we have the gentleman's guide to love and murder no we have the gentleman's guide to love and murder at home the gentleman's guide to love and murder at home is murder for two so essentially it's a two men who done it type of musical where a well-known <laughs> author is shot dead before his surprise birthday party in a, what is supposed to be a quiet town i find that questionable but a young officer an aspiring detective uh, takes his opportunity to try and solve the murder himself to get promoted so that's the musical a little bit about the musical itself though this is probably as we alluded in the conversation before the most indie musical we've covered as of yet i looked up the musical in the subreddit just to see if other people talk about it and it only has one mention actually that is about the musical something that involved the words of murder to for that will bring you to something that is not not related but this musical as it is was mentioned just once and it was in passing and it wasn't the focus so that being said it's not even that unknown the musical itself debuted in 2011 in chicago and it also got an off-broadway um edition between 2013 and 2014 
And since then, it actually toured uh, across the U.S. It got international versions, and it also won several awards, including a drama desk for best book. So I know we joke about it being less known, but I was surprised that it was not as obscure as I thought. Mm -hmm. So let's go into the in-depth summary for the musical. So the musical starts with a bunch of guests waiting in a dark mansion for the surprise birthday party of a well-known novelist, Arthur Whitney, to begin. The guests are Arthur's wife, Dahlia, Barb and Murray, Barrett and Dr. Griff, Steph, and possibly someone else who snuck in before the other guests arrive. We don't know. So when Arthur comes, there is a gunshot. And as soon as the lights are turned on, we discover he is dead. He got shot in the head. Meanwhile, we cut to a police officer, Marcus, along with a fellow cop named Lou. Um, they are tasked with keeping an eye on the suspect until the detective arrive in about an hour ago. Marcus's lifelong dream is to become a detective, and he eagerly wants to prove himself to the chief since he heard he um, is ready to be promoted as a newbie, or just any newbie is ready to, to be promoted, and the chief will promote whichever newbie uh, knows most about crime scene protocol. Dahlia believes Marcus to be the detective, and though he tries to correct her at first, he decides to actually take the opportunity and impersonate himself as a detective to solve this murder and prove himself worthy of a promotion. Now, Claire, as a, an enthusiast of crime, drama, murder, <laughs> tell me if I'm wrong. Do I smell in the air a felony for impersonating a police detective? Do I smell a felony for tempering with evidence, for tripping over the body? I mean, you can't take things too seriously is what I found. But <laughs> yes. Okay, so what we're saying is Marcus should and could be arrested. Yeah, he should be. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Also, uh, as we mentioned before, he has a cop buddy who is not his partner, but just somebody he's working with named Lou. And Lou is a real one because not only did Marcus spoil the mystery story, he um, is also making him an accessory to a crime. And the crime is obviously tempering with evidence and impersonating a detective. And after all that support, Marcus still doesn't acknowledge him as a partner. Don't you think it's mean? I think it's very mean. Okay, fine. I can see what you're saying. Thank you. You've really got to like empathize with people and characters a little bit more, Claire. I feel like that's vital. You've got to understand how difficult it must be for Lou, I think, because um, he had all these rough things going for him, both having to be spoiled. And you don't know, some people were really anal about having spoilers and he just got spoiled out of the blue. And also just the rejection from not wanting um for Marcus not wanting him as a partner I think that's really really damaging that's true and that yeah. by no means is a spoiler for later on so Marcus starts questioning Dahlia about her history with her husband to ascertain a motive so what we have is a background story Arthur romance Dahlia helped grow her career but after marrying her just as quickly he shot down her career so she doesn't seem too heartbroken by his death and in fact she's more heartbroken about her missing ice cream and she also admits being resentful about Arthur. Marcus also briefly introduces the character of Dr. Griff Barrett 
Steph and Steph, who is getting her master's in criminology, which good for her, get that education, wants to assist Marcus in solving the murder for her thesis. Suddenly we get a turn of events where one of the attendees, Murray, says he knows who done it. He claims his wife, Barb, shot him, but we, quick, we quickly learn he's been trying to frame her for various murders for a very long time. <laughs> that was amusing to you. That was I really hated funny. that part. I hated that part because, okay, there is words in a text of one of the songs that is the turning point for Marcus deciding to impersonate a detective and to have a felony which is saying that the town they're at is very quiet and having the opportunity of solving a murder in such a quiet town would distinguish him as somebody who is worthy of a detective position. Now, according to the song here, which we will obviously talk a little bit more about later, Murray claims that, or Murray's wife, Barb, actually, claimed that this is the fifth time that month that he is framing her for murder. So there are two options here, I think. Either option number one is that Murray looks for murders that happen around the world, let's say England, and he just goes and writes a mail to the Scotland Yard saying he knows that his wife did it all the way from America. That's option number one. So he just claims international murders. Option number two is he sees the obituary section in the newspaper and people who had nice, calm death, he reports as murder by his wife for absolutely no reason. I don't see how there is enough death otherwise to go around accusing her of it, you know? And yeah. I find that really strange because as somebody who is in the police department, Marcus should know about somebody like that reporting five murders per month, at least. But maybe they're not from here. But they are from here. Did they say that? That they live here? Yeah, they're all from here. They're neighbors. Uh, Barb and Maury mm. are the neighbors of Arthur and Dahlia. Maybe they're She's super rich and they, also, they only come here to live like every summer or something. I don't know. I don't know. But you have a good point. Yeah. They could be rich, you know, because they said that the Whitney's live in Whitney's Whitley's live in a mansion. So if they live in a mansion, I'm assuming the property value around it is also really high. Hmm. Is that safe to assume? I feel like you Maybe. know more about real estate than I do. Why do I know? <laughs> what? <laughs> Where did this come from? I don't know. I just you have the vibe of knowing about real estate. No, no, you're having a wrong impression hmm. of me. Hmm. <laughs> Who's to say? But then again, you actually have been dabbling in real estate, not for yourself, but you've seen like condos around. So yeah, like two times probably, but that's it. That's more than I did. So you're a real estate expert. And I feel like you would know that the property value is either really, really high or we have a type of scenario where we have like a really expensive mansion and everything around it is slums, you know, where they have like a big disparity between the rich and the poor. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then that's a really big motive for them to murder the Whitney's. You should take Lou's position. Hmm. <laughs> I'm only laughing because I know what's about to <laughs> Should I? I feel like that's a threat, Claire. <laughs> um, anyway, 
So listening to the couple's bickering, Marcus reached a revelation. Arthur used his friends, so the party's guests, as characters in his books. So all the stories contain secrets about the guests, and Arthur revealed all of them publicly through his books. Um, Marcus theorized one of them sought revenge just as a result of that exposure. The twist here, though, is that Marcus is also a character in one of his novels, making all of them, including Marcus, uh, resenting Arthur, leading to a motive. So all of them are suspects, though we don't actually believe that all of them are suspects equally. Mm -hmm. We now cut to a very unrelated boys choir, which was my least favorite part of the musical, who Marcus ushers away from the scene of the crime. But before they kind of shit all over the musical Mamma Mia, which I resented, we gave Mamma Mia a very high score and it was much better than this one. I have no clue why they felt the need to literally throw stones from a glass house. But they managed to convince Marcus to let them stay. And this kind of violates a very important protocol rule, but they managed to do that. And the kids say that they are unfazed by the murder because they've seen way worse in their short lives. And they also tell Marcus that if he needs their help, he can whistle and they'll come. And I'm sure that's not a very secret surprise tool that will come and be useful later on. With only half an hour left before the real detective comes, Marcus is very impatient and he tries to speed things along. He is especially impatient with Steph and her unwanted advances, which Steph laments about. Marcus, who this entire time has been starstruck by one of the guests, she's a dancer, her name is Brett, uh, recalls the last time he fell for a beautiful woman, Vanessa, his lover and previous partner, who ended up chopping her friends and family. She committed suicide in prison afterwards. And I think you should be thrilled, Claire, because we have several murders, we have suicide, we have all the darkness you could possibly want, even though it's a comedy. There are really hard-pressing tragic themes here and Vanessa should be an aspirational character because she's really emanating like girl boss gatekeep energy and I admire the hustle um finally Marcus gets to investigate Barrett who is completely captivated by um he like is admiring her looks and her personality but in a very unsurprising turn of events considering it was alluded to earlier we find out Barrett and Arthur were lovers also, unsurprisingly, um, considering how Arthur and his wife started out, I think it makes a lot of sense. Brett has a long, long criminal history with specifically history of violence and murder. And she has recently acquired a gun and also gleefully wished for Arthur's death and forged his will. Barrett swears she didn't kill him, though, and just stole his notebook containing the notes for his new story, which she was sure was going to be about her. She didn't want him to expose her. Marcus confiscates the notebook and reads about Dr. Griff, who sold his patient's stories in exchange for a good depiction in Arthur's novels. Dr. Griff reveals one of his patients wanted to kill Arthur, but is only willing to reveal it via a friendship song. Before the doctor could reveal the answer of who wanted to kill Arthur, he dies, presumably from drinking poison tea given to him by Dahlia. We don't know for sure, though. And spoiler alert, I don't think we ever find out. A new character is introduced last moment, Henry Vivaldi, who, much like Michael, was in the bathroom at the party. 
he is the only attendee who wasn't a patient of Dr. Griff. And as the result, he is able to go out of the party without much ado and just live his life. After that, the protocol steps have ended and Steph and Marcus conclude they should have all the evidence necessary to solve the murder. Due to the stress of the real detective arriving in less than five minutes, Marcus lets the truth slip that he's not an actual detective. Dahlia, on the other hand, lets slip that she found Barrett's tutu in her underwear drawer, which made her very, very angry. Steph has a revelation, realizing that Dahlia must have known of the affair long ago and that she also planned the, part of the party, so she's kind of like the prime suspect at this point. And Dahlia confesses to the crime and finally gets to sing her big song to explain what happened, how frustrated she was with Arthur's treatment and not wanting to be invisible. But despite her confession, Marcus isn't really like convinced that she did it and thinks she's uh, just a disgruntled housewife, not a murderer. Steph and Marcus, but Loki Steph, to be honest, she is the real one, figures out that since the guests didn't see the light coming out from the gun when it was shot, um, the shot must have come from outside the house. And they figure out that Lou is the one who shot Arthur. Oh my God, who could have seen that coming? Did we talk about Lou potentially having an important arc here at all, Claire? Not, not at all. Like, not at Lou? all. That is so surprising. We never heard of Lou in our lives. This is such like a twist. But Marcus deduces that Lou was the only person who Arthur never wrote about, thus making Lou feel invisible. Lou manages to get away, but Marcus whistles in a very predictable turn of event to summon the boys from the choir. The boys reprimand him and bring him to Marcus, and we find out Detective Grayson was shot and is dead as well. So Marcus becomes the new detective. He asks Dahlia to perform at the police ball, giving her the attention she wants. And finally, Steph is going to be his new partner. Happy ending. Yay. 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 Okay. So this is probably going to be a short episode, Claire. What do you think? I think so. I think. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, I think. (laughs) Because the fact that I actually look at their number, like the list of the numbers they had, and I was mm-hmm. like, whoa, they have like almost 20 songs. That's a lot. Yeah. And then you realize like maybe one third of them are like 30 seconds or so. And they're not even a song. They're just like yes, conversation before the song bonkers. begins. That's so many of those. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, okay, I guess it's not really that many then. So mm-hmm. that would be one reason. And the other reason is really because of the limit of only having two actors and only having like one piano and stuff. Like there is a lot of limitation, which is actually what makes it interesting too. But um, because of that, obviously the stage doesn't really change that much. Yeah, we're not going to have a lot to talk about in terms of like stage design, choreography mm-hmm. is almost zero. No, um, but listen, the choreography for the dancer she was supposed to be a dancer, and I get that's part of a joke, but, like, the choreography was so sad. <laughs> like, I could do better, and I'm terrible. Like, I am actually a disgrace. I think just doing the disco, like, finger pointing up and down, or, like, the uh, peace sign between the eyes, you know what I'm talking about? I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure. Um, that would be better than what happened there. <laughs> she had in the big dance number um, for Dahlia. She, not for Dahlia, for Barrette. She has, like, the dance moves for like a minute or so when she was trying to low-key seduce Marcus to forget about everything that happened before and that dance was just mm -mm, mm -mm. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's but, interesting. It's an interesting attempt, mm-hmm. let's just say. Yes, I'll yeah. give you that. And I'll give them that too. But I completely agree with what you said. So they have a lot of limitation. As I mentioned before, this is a two-man show. Or in here, in this case, a, two, a man and a woman. I believe the original one is two men based on the voices I can hear from the cast, the original cast recording. Mm-hmm. But um, it is very bare bones, very stripped down. And that could be an excuse, I'd say. But considering Ghost Quartet, which is a four people musical, had all these limitations as well, maybe just a little bit more leeway considering it's four rather than two, they accomplished musically, they accomplished things scenically, like with the story itself, even with the costuming and the design, which I think it was more limited in the version you've seen, but I've seen them in person. And I think they managed to do a little bit more with that compared to what is here. I am not sure that this is an excuse anymore of having two people and having very limited amount of production value. No, I think that's the point of being funny, you know? Like, that's what makes it funny. The fact that it's stripped down? Because I don't know, I agree. It has its points, but I think the parts that I did laugh at, which there were parts, definitely, some of the comedy elements did hit well weren't due to how stripped down this production was Mm -hmm. did you find it a crucial part of the humor honestly I feel like somebody who is older than me probably would enjoy it but I feel like it's too outdated for my taste that's what I said too for the humor specifically there are certain parts that worked not too many but there are certain parts that did work this musical as I mentioned first debuted in 2011 meaning it was written before that I don't know how far along before that but definitely I'm guessing in the late like 2000s or something like that and I found the humor for that really shows the humor was bad in a lot of times like they had really blatant like dick jokes which I think is really low brow brow humor I don't think it's really really funny they're not even trying to disguise them as anything else they had a lot of like uh, you know gross jokes that would be funny for kids just because they're scandalous but don't have a lot of like intellectual value or merit and I don't mind these subject matters obviously being um, propped up in musicals we had them happening in the past but they can do it in a cleverer way that would make it actually shocking and funny and in here, it was just the most expected thing. And I find like all these kind of humors. They also had like fat shaming humor and stuff like that, that I think is very emblematic of the early 2000s and is not something that would necessarily amuse audiences nowadays. Let's go for the characters then. I don't know about you, but I had a huge disparity between my liking for Marcus and my liking for literally every other character. And I'm not sure if it's due to the performance of the other person who had to embody all these different characters, or if it's due to the stripped down set design and the lack of coherency or individuality even between the different characters. But I enjoyed Marcus as a character a lot more than literally everybody else. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think Mm -hmm. he has a lot more personality, which makes sense because he just needs to be himself. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there's so many other characters, but they're all played by one person, as impressive as they sounds, it gives us very little time to get to know them other than 
the one song they're in, and most of them are like the funny songs. It doesn't really tell you all that much. And I personally actually have a hard time trying to differentiating one character from the other. Like、mm. sometimes it's not like it's very visually obvious. So, for、exactly. example, like she doesn't wear anything. Different to distinguish, like whether she is this character or that character.、Mm-hmm. Um, she tries to do this like voice change if she's playing a, a guy character, which makes sense. Yeah.、But、then, in terms of the the girls, like or the females, like it's not that obvious, and it's really hard to keep track of who she is right now. Which I think it's not really the actress or the actor's fault necessarily. It just The way that this musical has been set up has that limitation from the get go, and because of that, it's really hard to like any of them too too much because you have so limited of a time with them.、Mm-hmm. I agree with that, but I can't help but compare it to another musical we've recently seen. We already mentioned here, which is a Gentleman's Guide, and in a Gentleman's Guide, you had the entire Dice with family played by one person, and. They manage to pull it through, regardless of the gender of the character.、Um, there are two characters were female, and all the rest of the dice with were male. But it was very, very easy to understand which male character is which male character, and which female character is which female character. And even though you had so many of them, they never mixed up in my mind. And that obviously could be due to the、um, set and the costuming that was a lot more elaborate than here. But I also think it's due to the strength of the actor, which delivered a beautiful performance. And I can't help but think that the actor who played all the suspects here was a little bit more limited in the terms of the performance here. Obviously, I've never seen them in anything else. But in comparison to Marcus's performance, which might be you know more straightforward considering he's only playing one person, I definitely notice a difference in acting capabilities as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel really, really bad saying it because I'm a horrible actor and I can't do anything better myself for sure. No, that's fair.、Close. I feel like it makes me appreciate、um, a gentleman's guide to love and murder a lot more because、mm-hmm. it's hard. And and I think coming from watching that, like maybe we take it for granted and、like、saying that oh, okay, then maybe one person can do it, and it's a thing that. Everyone can play multiple characters, but in fact, it's really, really difficult. So,、mm-hmm. I think it's normal. We're not saying that this person is horrible or anything. It's just it makes you really appreciate the the actors who are managed to make sure that each and every one of the character that he's playing is so vivid. Like they have so much personality in them, even though that you know you also get very limited time with them.、Mm-hmm. And speaking about Marcus, who is definitely the main character here, I figure for me he seems like a scaled down version of Monty in many ways. So like I love how we first see him in his like goody two shoes elements, being disrespected and underestimated by the department and also his fellow police officers, and then we hear his traumatic past with a partner who is more vicious than is expected. And they have a very similar start in many ways, and then you also get like the foolish to think moment for him, which is where he decides to take the plunge and pretends to be an officer to chase his ambitions and better his life in a way. And the more you learn about it, the more you kind of see where he could have a possible motive of killing somebody or murdering somebody. So obviously, it wasn't the case for Arthur, but maybe for the other detective in order to advance his position somehow. You don't know. So I think there are a lot of similarities between him and Monty, 
And I did like the character of Marcus, not as much as Monty, of course, but I think it works as well. I wonder if you saw similar similarities. I can see where you're coming from, but I feel like they're very different. Mm-hmm. Like for me, Monty is a lot more interesting. And oh, I for feel sure. Like, yeah, like he's the criminal, like the crime mastermind kind of. And for me, Marcus is kind of just convenient. Honestly, he's kind of boring to me. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of there to make sure that we are pushing the plot along and we are still chasing after this mystery, even though I think nobody is taking this mystery to do seriously. Mm -hmm. So in terms of solving a crime and solving a murder mystery, like I personally don't really care about the the case that they're trying to solve in this one versus in A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. So for me, Marcus is just kind of there to push it along and to play piano most of the time. <laughs> and that's it. And, uh, and that's not his fault. I don't think we are meant to pay too much attention on him anyway. Like it's not his show. Yeah, he's not the main, main character unlike Monty. He's not the focus. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I don't think we're meant to develop that sort of level of um, connection with him anyways. But Mm -hmm. it's just in terms of the character, he's definitely the watered down version of Monty, if anything. But I don't really see that much of a connection between him and Monty, though. Mm -hmm. For sure. I can see where you're coming from with that, too. There limitation in terms of how similar they are and Monty is definitely a well-developed character in comparison to Marcus but out of all the characters here he's most well-developed and he has a lot of Mm -hmm. similar moments as to Monty which is where I see the connections in addition to obviously all the the suspects mirroring the dice quest but and also the setting of course of the ominous mention and stuff like that so there are definitely a lot of similarities but you mentioned that the story or the characterization is still very well watered down for you. I was curious, what was your highlight from the production? My highlight? Mm. It's really hard to say because I feel like my overall comment of the production is just like, I feel like I'm watching a like a grandpa's TV show, (laughs) Um, which is something that I don't mind watching with my grandpa. But mm-hmm. I'm not paying too much attention to it. Mm. First of all, it's pretty predictable. And yes. second of all, I don't feel like I'm as engaged as I was when I was watching other musicals. Because honestly, why should we care as audience? Like, why should we care about the murder or the character or anything about mm-hmm. this production? Was, was the question I had in my mind when I was watching it. Because the whole time I didn't feel like they made anything too important or likable enough for us to care about it. At least for me, that's how I felt. Because in terms of the character, like you said, maybe Marcus is the most developed out of all of them, but that's only by comparison, right? Mm -hmm. And in terms of the plot, like nobody was taking the the dead person seriously anyways like it's not like we're trying to achieve anything whereas in Monty's case we know that he has a goal and we're trying to follow his story to see if he reaches his goal and that's something that we as audience would be engaged and care about because we see where he's come from and what he's trying to do but then Mm -hmm. here is like the end goal is so obvious like they just want to solve the murder and find out who he is like who the person is and that's it. Like, why should we care about this person being murdered? No idea. Like, there's very little information 
about the victim or about the suspects or about like anything pretty much. So it's not a bad story and I still to some level enjoy it, but then I just don't feel like it's something that I was paying too much attention of or I was just not really caring about mm-hmm. it all that much. Um, so yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that. This is definitely something that shoots for Marcus to be what we attach ourselves to and his ambition is the reason why we care about this murder at all but they didn't make him as compelling of a character as they should in order to make us really really care about it because I think Mm -hmm. they were definitely going for a light-hearted tone and there is a way to go for a light-hearted tone that make it work with the rest of the theme uh, obviously we compare a lot to a gentleman's guide and I think a gentleman's guide struck the right balance in this case and they just haven't achieved it here what I would think would really work or I could see myself enjoying in this musical is if I went to a local community theater that is smaller and it was just me and some friends or some family just watching the musical and having a drink or something along those lines, not thinking about it too seriously, just having or looking for a good time. That would be how I could see myself enjoying it. Would it be very, very memorable? No, but I would have a good time. Mm-hmm. I can see where you're coming from too. I think one way to sort of hopefully help to make it work a little bit better is if we open up with the victim for example Mm. like if they have a first number that is sung by the victim like talking about how excited he is about his birthday or maybe have a brief interaction between Marcus and the victim and be like oh I'm really a big fan of yours it's such an honor to like have you sign my book or whatever Mm. um and then it's like with this all happy moment and then he got shot and he's dead and I feel like it convinces more about why Marcus is caring about this other than just the fact that he wants to make detective and Mm. also for the audience to build sympathy and to actually care about the victim because I don't think it would necessarily work though because the victim the entire musical is paying to be this horrible horrible person that everybody hates (laughs) okay fine Usually, yes, it would work. And I feel like it would work with something like the Dice who took Mon- uh, Monty under his wing, where it's a bit more of a somber moment. But with somebody who is painted to be more like the actual Lord Dice who is horrible and mean to everybody else, who doesn't understand the poor, having a sympathetic introduction wouldn't do much considering everybody else hates him. Hmm. All right. So it's not savable then. It's, like, it's desperate. <laughs> Irredeemable. <laughs> um fair enough so you don't have any highlight at all like not even a small thing that you thought was a little bit elevated from the rest or Uh, surprised you a little bit I don't really I can't really think of anything as of this moment okay I think maybe the fact that oh okay the fact that they went to the audience and forced somebody to become the doctor to become the victim of that was my highlight too that was funny that was that interesting. Was yeah, yeah. they're like, oh, we're only two people. We need somebody to help us. Yeah. And they pulled this random person from the audience, be like, can you cough? Can you like pretend that you're dying? And <laughs> so they're trying to make it work. Um, yeah, that was funny. Listen, I'd be mortified if it were me. Like, I would refuse to leave my chair. Seriously? <laughs> oh, for sure. I you're would really, hate like, it. Avoiding the eye contact. Like, not me. I- 
at all costs. I'd be like <laughs> literally burying, burying my like head inside my arm. Just don't pick me. Don't pick me. And obviously, if you're that, obviously we'll pick you. But um, no, no. And good for that other person who was a good sport and rolled along with it. He literally like he convulsed when he was about to die. And he didn't do like a really over-exaggerated convulsion or stuff like that, but he still went through with it. And I was like, wow, what a champ. Good sport. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that was actually the highlight for me too. Is there a low portion for you? A low portion? The, the, the kids song? Same, same. I wow. honestly, yeah, man, I, I really wanted to skip that. Yeah, me yeah. too. I literally had to pause. Like this is a very easy musical to just like, have watched a couple of times because there's not much that is happening in there and there's not a lot of content and this one I just wanted to skip I, I paused it I was like okay let's go through with it and after that it was easier because this was the worst point of the musical <laughs> yeah yeah that was definitely one point I'm like okay it's too much <laughs> that's okay okay so now in terms of the songs this will be difficult for us and I do understand you will probably resist a little bit but what was your favorite song I think my favorite is so what if I did Mm -hmm. yeah because it has much of a more of a creepy vibe than the other ones and the double piano towards the end was kind of fun too yeah that's true. I think So What If I Did is probably one of the better ones, too. There are two songs that I think broke the monotony of everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite would be A Friend Like You just because of the doctor moment and also mm. because it's more of a more wholesome song. I think it's probably the only wholesome song they have in the entire musical, even though Marcus was under duress at the time that he sang it. But Dr. Griff was like, you got to really mean it, sing it from your heart and stuff like that. And Marcus had to really go for it in order to convince him. (laughs) And that high note. (laughs) Yeah, that high note. Oh my goodness. That was really good. Yeah. Um, And I'm so glad that Dr. Griff got his death wish and had a friendship song before he died. Mm -hmm. That was really, really nice. Speaking of, isn't it a huge plot hole that we don't know how he died? Do you think it was like a heart attack or something? They definitely alluded for the tea. But because um, Dahlia wasn't the one to kill him, then it it shouldn't be the tea, right? My guess is that it's still the tea because otherwise there's no point hinting on the tea. I think it's supposed to be like... um, what is it called a herring a red herring I think is what it's called but essentially when they're just setting it up for uh, like to be really really obvious as the murder weapon or the murder reason in this case but it's so obvious that it's not going to be that Hmm. can I just say another thing though is that I feel like Marcus is such a shitty person in that scene oh yeah when a doctor is dying and literally his Maybe the only chance for him to leave any last words behind. Marcus is like, can you not even just <laughs> tell me two syllable of who the person is? I'm Selfish. like, oh man. Selfish Marcus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely self-absorbed and definitely a shitty person. I mean, hmm, perhaps it was Marcus all along. It was Agatha Actually, all along. I thought about that. I'm like, yeah. that would be also kind of predictable. If yeah. they made Marcus the person who did it. My so, guess is that Marcus actually did it, but he blamed it on Lou. But why would he do it? 
because he doesn't want to be arrested oh why would he kill him oh yeah oh well he has a he has a motive he has the whole story thing which he said he didn't know about but based on the acting at least i gather that he definitely knew about it you know what they should do that they should be like revealing that he is actually the one who's behind all this and then he Mm -hmm. just used lou as a scapegoat that That is the monty parallelism i have here as well because (laughs) i am convinced that in order for it to be better than this it needs to be marcus and marcus planted a bomb or maybe he had steph as an accomplice not steph as an accomplice but vanessa as an accomplice before she shot herself before she hung herself Mm -hmm. um to kill the other detective to make him rise through the ranks a lot more compelling Mm -hmm. yeah there you go yeah there you go one way (laughs) to save it exactly the other point i think that was um better musically compared to everything else was he needs a partner and i felt genuinely like i was walking in a desert parched for 40 years and then when i got he needs a partner i just had a little bit of water just a (laughs) tiny tiny bit of water just like rainfall for one second because they added a tiny bit of complexity right at the end of the song to make things interesting they blended their voices together and they actually sang and their voices actually sound pretty good together so Mm. when she uses her real voice because the majority of the time she doesn't use her real voice to kind of give characters different lives and different vibes but for Steph she did so Mm. that was a highlight for me as well yeah yeah that was that was one of the better ones for sure it actually kind of reminds me of the genie song from a very potter musical for some reason Mm, interesting i don't know maybe the personality is is sort of similar i don't know the genie song oh you mean harry yeah oh (laughs) sorry the harry song song. that was sang by (laughs) genie sorry when you said genie i was thinking about twisted i was like a very part of oh, musical. No, Wait sorry. a second. It was a genie song. No, she probably means scary. Yes, it does sound like Carrie. I think it works. <laughs> and she is a pretty similar character too, because she's always rejected until yeah. finally he sees the light for absolutely random reason um, that's exactly. not explained. And they're partners all of a sudden. So <laughs> that's a good similarities for sure. Do we have anything else to say? Honestly, not really. How yeah. about you? <laughs> I think I'm good. I think we also like kind of covered our final thoughts in terms of everything, unless you want to voice them a little bit more. Yeah, I feel like this episode definitely has a more of a loser structure. So oh, for I don't sure. know. Maybe it will like, be an interesting experiment, you know, to try things out. Oh, for sure. I was kind of like, oh, I don't think we can go for the normal structure that we usually do because there's nothing to talk about in the songs. Half the songs are not real songs. They're just introducing the characters before or they have one single line that is sung through and sung through very loosely. And then the other half are two minutes long and the music is so simple, so simple that I felt like it belongs in a kindergarten if the lyrics weren't so, if the lyrics were less explicit. And the lyrics themselves also were not complex the majority of the time. Sometimes, occasionally, there was a joke that worked, but the vast majority of the other times, just the humor wasn't it, the lyrics weren't it, and the music wasn't it. So the only thing keeping me through it was the story and the characters a little bit. Mm-hmm. Do you feel the same? Is like yeah. the music your low point from the musical, or do you have like another part structure-wise? So, like, no, I feel like music is definitely the low point. I mean. 
honestly for the skill of the production like this like I don't really have too high of an expectation anyway but it got to off-broadway so, it won awards it won yeah. a drama desk okay you I know mean, what it's not, it's not that bad it's not horrible like I said I, I wouldn't mind watching with my grandpa I don't know how I keep bringing up my grandpa, but I, He's I don't. On your mind? No, I feel <laughs> totally. like he will, he will enjoy it for some reason. Like people who are a little bit from you know what their sense of humor is probably like from the last generation probably enjoy. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, that actually came out horrible. It was meant to be a compliment. I think it is a compliment because we were way harsher about other things so yeah this is like a highlight I feel okay what I'm doing right now by the way as you're speaking so speak more is looking <laughs> up the 2014 drama desk competitors interesting or okay. nominees to see what it was going up against and see why on earth it won by the way in 2014 mm-hmm. what won was a gentleman's guide to love and murder yes as it should Okay, it did win, but what was it going up against? No, it didn't win. It was nominated. It mm. was nominated. That makes so much more sense. But it did win other awards. It won the Joseph Jefferson Award, and it won... No, it was nominated as well for Outer Critics Circle Award. So it won one award, and then there were other. It was nominated. Thank God. What won Best Book for that year was A Gentleman's Guide. Well deserved. Well deserved. Thank well you. Deserved. Should we move into our next portion? Sure. You want to introduce that? It's yes. absolutely not related in any way. I just found it and was like, that's me. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's not even relevant. Okay. Not um, relevant whatsoever. <laughs> sure. But it's random enough. So let's just do it. Uh, so today we will be doing <laughs> put together a wedding outfit using marvel items and we'll give you a female mcu character to act as your plus one what the heck is this quiz um, um, from buzzfeed we like marvel and i don't think we'll have any opportunity to ever talk about them so let's sure. take this opportunity oh, okay um did you watch in the end um hawkeye i haven't finished it oh okay so i guess your brother was the right one and not me no, I have a lot of things to watch like recently. Maybe I'll okay. okay. Um, so let's start with a base. So we have Kate's suit, Yelena's t-shirt and jeans, Natasha's business dress, and Wanda's off-the-shoulder dress. Um oh, and then we have Peggy's little red dress and MJ's floral dress. Whoops. I'll pick the suit. I'll pick the t-shirt and jeans. Now pick a jacket in case it gets chilly. Peggy's leather jacket, Kate's long blazer, MJ's denim jacket, Natasha's leather jacket, Wanda's Avengers jacket, and Yelena's play jacket. Long blazer. I feel like Kate is speaking to me. Yeah. Yeah. How about some shoes? MJ's sneakers, Kate's ankle boots, Natasha's knee-high boots, which I didn't realize look so impractical, but okay. Mm -hmm. Peggy's short heels, Yelena's wall-climbing boots, and Wanda's lace-up boots sneakers same time to accessorize Yelena's earrings MJ's chain Peggy's hat Natasha's ear necklace Wanda's ring Kate's belt I don't think you ever accessorize much do you you have the necklace I think you always wear but apart from that I have rings 
Oh, you have rings. That's yeah. right. I forgot. Okay, you accessorize more than I do. And I don't have um piercing, so I don't have um any earrings. Mm. Um, but I'm gonna pick the arrow neck necklace. It actually oh. looks pretty nice. It does, doesn't it? It's like tasteful. I'm gonna pick the earrings because that's the only one I do wear. And finally, how will you do your hair? MJ's curls, Peggy's bun, Kate's high ponytail, Natasha's bob, Wanda's messy ponytail, and Elena's braids. Um, high ponytail. MJ curls. Who did you get? I think it's pretty obvious. I got Kate. Oh, nice. Okay, I didn't. I didn't realize that. Maybe I wasn't thinking about you. (laughs) (laughs) How about Um, you? uh wait what's your description though oh um you love adventure but know where to draw the line kate doesn't always though so you two make a good couple you both can have fun but you make sure it doesn't get too out of hand you're a free spirit this is long who loves teamwork and is incredibly <laughs> skilled and smart you two bounce up each other with the most random conversations and ideas all the time and i'm here for it how about you okay that's interesting do you like kate i think that kate is so much more compelling than Hawkeye. And it honestly is the Kate show. It's not the Hawkeye show. And I'm glad for it because I was never a Hawkeye stan. But I got Yelena, which is super exciting because I like her. You have a tough outside appearance, but inside you can sometimes be a bit of a mess. Yelena is able to understand and relate to you. You and her are both bold, strong, adventurous, and not afraid to be yourself. The perfect duo. Aw, nice. So, with the quiz that is absolutely unrelated concluded, should we move into the final ranking? Okay. Let's Drum do that. Roll, please. I'll give it 3.5 lose. I'll give it a 3.5 ice creams. Okay. Okay. Wow. We actually give it the same rating. Yeah. I was like, wow, that is very interesting. I don't remember. Yeah. No, for Spongy, we have different rating, but I think for, no, also Sunday in the Park with George. That doesn't <laughs> happen to It doesn't, no. <laughs> now that I think about it. Okay, very interesting. So with that concluded, guys, don't ever, ever tell us if we don't cover smaller musicals, smaller niche musicals. If we don't cover them, maybe that's the reason. Maybe we've been really traumatized. You never know. 3.5. That's the <laughs> I think we've given it since Dear Evan Hansen. You gave Ghost for Tet a three, which is a sin I am yet to forgive. But we don't usually afford such a low like score. And I think it's we've been spoiled from the other productions we've seen that were a lot better um, in terms of the values that was added to them. So uh, if the people who are involved in this heard this conversation, have that in context but <laughs> I feel bad I feel mean after I always feel mean after giving a lower score don't you yeah a little bit yeah I was like well what if somebody hears I mean it is my true thoughts but what if somebody is offended I'm sure this is like such a difficult thing to put on a musical um regardless of the final products just putting it out there is a labor of passion and love and it takes a lot of dedication and it is moderately successful considering it was nominated for all these awards and uh it 
became international too. So I'm just digging myself into like more and more ways to <laughs> pad their ego a little bit. But if you want to help us pad everybody's ego, or you want to chastise us for our selection for this musical episode, or you want to just say, please do Spring Awakening, which mm-hmm. um, you can do all that and more on uh, social media. You can find us at Podway Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit. If you're not a social media person, you can also email us at podwaypodcast at gmail.com. If you feel ex- like very generous in this fine morning, or afternoon, wherever you're at, you can also do us a massive favor and rate us on any podcasting um, location you hear us through. Just give us a rating, give us a comment, give us a review, tell us what you think, um, engage with us in all of our social medias and all of our podcasting ways, and that will help us be more visible to other people who may be interested in listening to us so if you would do that we would really really appreciate it give us the rating sorry give us the rating give us the rating um so yeah thank you so much for listening guys hope this was still fun for you even though <laughs> and we went as enjoying this particular <laughs> before we will have something more structured next time where i'm in toronto where i'm in my zone yeah yeah so stay tuned for more um and let us know how you like this one i guess yes yeah that's great (laughs) (laughs) all right thank you for listening thank you everybody Bye. bye